We've been working through 1 Corinthians a little bit at a time. Uh, right before Advent, we ended um, with this. Paul is talking about marriage in chapter 7. Uh, he was talking about the, the role of sex in marriage. We talked about that before Advent. It made, every, well, it made me uncomfortable. I don't know if it made you uncomfortable or not. So thankfully, we're past that. Uh, he has some other marital issues that he brings up uh, throughout the rest of chapter 7. Just a little background. Uh, 1 Corinthians is the third in a series of letters back and forth between Paul and this church that he started. The church uh, is beginning to disrespect Paul. They don't necessarily see him as a spiritual leader anymore. There's this kind of corrupting influence, most likely from some women in the church. And I'm just saying. So that's somebody snickered was the only reason I even brought that up. There's this corrupting influence from this group of ladies in the church, and Paul's trying to reestablish his authority in the first few chapters. And then starting in chapter 7, he is addressing issues that they're bringing up to him. This letter that they've written, they've spoken about several different things, and Paul just starts kind of checking them off one at a time. What's tricky for us is we don't have the letter that they wrote. So it, we don't know exactly what their questions were, what their statements were, what their stance was, and so it can be difficult to reconstruct exactly what Paul means and how that applies to us because we don't know the specific situation he was addressing, and we'll have that issue collectively as we work through the rest of 1 Corinthians, trying to decide exactly what Paul is addressing, and then if we're in a similar situation, yes or no. So we'll begin in verse 8. Now to the unmarried, that most likely is widowers. So now to the widowers and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. But it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So what he's saying is if you're a widow or a widower, stay single. You don't need to remarry unless you don't have this gift of celibacy that Paul talked about in verse 7. It, he's most likely referring to people who are already in sexual relationships outside of marriage. And he's saying if that's what you're doing, just go ahead and get married. It's better to get married than to be living like that. To the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord, that's Jesus. A wife must not separate or divorce from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So again, he's speaking to Christian couples here. He's saying don't get a divorce. If you have divorced, then you need to be single or reconciled with your uh, previous spouse. We did a message back in May. I think it was on May 22nd on divorce and remarriage. This is one small slice of the biblical witness on that. If that's an area where you're, if that strikes you, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. We're not going to spend any time on it this morning. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the un unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? So here he's referring to these two people who are married, and after their marriage, one of them becomes a Christian and the other doesn't. He's not talking about a Christian marrying a non-Christian. He will look at that next week in verses 38 and 39. He's pretty clear on his stance on that. So this is people who've gotten married, then after post-marriage, one of them becomes a Christian and the other doesn't. And what Paul is saying is 
to the Christian, you don't need to end this relationship. You don't need to seek a divorce. You don't need to bust this thing up at all. Stay together. It's good for you. It's good for your spouse. It's good for your children. This stuff about sanctifying and making clean and making holy, that can sound kind of uh, super spiritual. Basically what he's saying is you have a, you have a very um, uh, important role in the life of your spouse and in the life of your children, and God will use you as a channel of grace to them. And so stay. If they choose to leave, then you can let them go. That's not on you. If they're choosing to leave because of your conversion, then they can go, and you don't need to necessarily try to convince them to stay. We're, we're called to live at peace. But you don't need to initiate the ending of this marriage at all. You need to, you need to stay in. Verse 17, nevertheless, and this is the key verse of the whole section, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Here, here it is again. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. A freedman is someone who was bought out of slavery. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of men. Here's the idea again. Brothers, each of you, excuse me, each man is responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. So what's going on in this whole section is Paul saying, stay where you are. That actually, even the first few verses of chapter 7, it's the same thing. What he's saying is, God, when God called you into a relationship with him, you were in a particular life station. Stay there. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you need to go around and start changing everything. If you're married, you don't need to get a divorce. If you're single, you don't need to get married. If you're a widow or a widower, you don't, none of that stuff needs to change. He's even talking to people who are slaves. You don't necessarily need to try to change that situation either. God called you from within your particular life circumstance, life station, and to, in that life circumstance situation, you need to stay as a Christian. What changes is not your circumstances. What changes is you. Now, he's not referring to anything immoral, illegal, anti-gospel. Paul himself, when he became a Christian, he quit doing certain things like killing Christians. He stopped that when he became a Christian. So it's not that you don't stop anything. It's what you might want to call kind of the neutral areas of your life. Again, your marital status, employment, where you live, those type of things. Paul's saying just hold steady. You don't need to change everything yet. Remain where you are. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. What does it look like? for us to remain in the areas that we are when God calls? What does it look like for us to stay there? Psalm 16 says this, Lord, you've assigned me my portion of my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So the first thing for us is to recognize God has given us our life to some degree. I'm a big free will, free choice guy. I think God has given us the ability to make choices. He's given us freedom. And I think those choices, I believe those choices have very real consequences. I don't feel like we're pawns on a chessboard. I don't think God is some cosmic, you know, marionette who's pulling our strings. I don't think any of that, none of that at all. However, biblically, 
there's a very strong word in here that God does determine our life. Somehow sin plays into that, our sinful choices, sinful choices of other people, just the results of living in a fallen world, that plays in. Our choices play in, I think, significantly as well. And God sets boundaries for us. Many of the choices that we make, we make based on stuff that God gave us, talents, strengths, weaknesses, likes, dislikes, based on where we were born, when we were born, to whom we were born, the opportunities that were presented to us, all of those things that, if we're honest, are really beyond our control. We, were, we, we weren't blank slates. We were given things by our Heavenly Father. Psalms 139, Psalm 139 talks about us being formed and knit together in our mother's wombs, and that's, that's serious. Not just physically put together, but internally God put us together. He wired us in certain ways, and the choices that we make now are often based on that internal wiring. Again, it doesn't mean you're a puppet and that everything is fated for you before you take your first step, but God does have plans and purposes for us. He does draw boundary lines there or fences, if you like that. He sets up a fence for each of us. Within that fence, I think he gives us massive freedom. Run, run fast, run hard, be creative, live your life. But the fences are set by him. And we need to recognize that. For some of us, that's difficult. That feels restrictive. Feel like, well, what, what if that's not what I would have chosen? Who is he to make those decisions for me? That's why it's so important for us to recognize God as a good father, as a good father who knows us and set these boundaries for us based on his goodness, not based on trying to restrict us, not trying to punish us, not trying to tease us, not trying to teach us a lesson, but out of his goodness. I know you, and this is what's best. And that can sound condescending to us. Well, I know what's best. Again, it's trusting that our father in heaven is good. And he knows us even better than we know ourselves. And so the lines that he's drawn for our lives, our lives are, are truly in pleasant places. And that's a wrestling point for some of you. And you need, to, you need to wrestle over that. There are areas of your life, it's a strong word. You may say you despise where some of the lines have fallen for you. You need to wrestle with the Lord around that issue. It would be very difficult for you to accept what he has for you and to joyfully live into those things if you feel like he's made some mistakes and some bad calls on your behalf. Genesis 2, when God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, you get all of this is yours. That one tree, don't eat that. Everything else is yours. No rules, just one, one rule. Don't eat that. Everything else is wide open to them. And that's how God is with us. He doesn't give us a billion rules. Follow all of these. He sets us in a place and says, I want to trust you. I want you to grow in, in maturity. I want you to be led by my spirit. I want you to become more like my son. And in this place, I'm going to trust you to live. Love me and love other people. You do those two things. Those are the two rules. Love me and love other people. And then run and live your life. So it's, yes, there are lines. Yes, there are restrictions. But it's in the midst of a lot of freedom. For all of us. So that's the first thing. Recognize that the boundary lines for you have fallen in pleasant places and they've been placed there by the Lord. Second thing, don't try to move the lines. Don't try to move your fences. Deuteronomy 19, don't move your neighbor's boundary stones set up by your predecessors and in the inheritance you receive 
in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So uh, the Israelites, their inheritance from, from the Lord was physical. It was land. Joshua 13 through 21, it's, it's a bunch of surveying. Mo, Joshua saying here, this is what you get, and this is what you get, and this is what you get, and this is what you get. And they put these rocks at the corner of their property to say, this is mine and this is not mine. And it was a huge deal to move those rocks. Because if you're moving one of those rocks, you're stealing somebody else's inheritance. If I have the land, then you can't have it. It's a limited resource. So big deal, don't move other people's rocks. You're not just stealing land from them. You're stealing their inheritance from the Lord. For us, we don't receive land like that from God, but our inheritance is no less significant. It's no less real, although it's not dirt most of the time. And so the word for us is the same. Don't try to move your fences. Don't move these boundary stones, these boundary lines that God has laid for you. Don't move them. Some of us are tempted to move them out. We want more than what God has given us. And so we stretch. And sometimes it's with the best of intentions. Here's the fence, and we just bump it out a little bit. But by definition, once you've done that, you're in your flesh. If God says, here's your plot, live there. That's where I'm with you. Once we step outside of that, no matter how good we think, how much good we think we're doing, it's all going to burn because it's what we've done in our own strength. God does not bless you, anoint you, however you want to phrase that, once you step outside of the boundaries that he's laid for your life. For many of us, it's not a temptation to move our boundaries lines out. It's to move them in. We want to stay close where it's safe. It's, it can be intimidating. It requires a lot in terms of sacrifice and risk to live all the way to the edges of the life that God has for you. For many of us, we're much more comfortable staying tight and close and safe. It's risk-free. It doesn't take as much effort. It doesn't take as much time. It doesn't take as much commitment doesn't take as much sacrifice. It's easier to live close. And so we pull our boundary stones in. And what that does is that creates a gap between my land and Bob's land. And in that gap, it's wild, untamed wilderness. Because I'm not doing, because I have pulled my boundary stone in, this land that God gave me to cultivate, it's, it's going wild. Because it's mine and I'm not taking care of it. And the same thing is true for you. If, we, if you look in our community, you can see, I don't mean geographically, but if you look in our community, you can see these areas where there is, where we as Christians, we've pulled in so far, there is no presence of God in those places because the people of God are not there. Areas in our government, in our businesses, in our schools, our homes, our neighborhoods, you can see these wild areas where people tell us, well, that's just business or that's just politics or your faith is private or whatever they say and it causes us to pull our boundary stones in. God has said, that's yours. Do something there. In um, Genesis 2, when it talks about, uh, or in Genesis 1, when it, we, we read that uh, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, there's this idea, these kings during the, in the ancient Near East, when they would take over land, they would create a monument of themselves just to remind everybody, hey, this is mine. They, so it's, it's basically, it was, their, it was a picture. Here's this statue that reminds everybody, this is my land. And that's, that word is used of Adam and Eve. It's God putting a statue saying, hey, this is mine. And as his children, as people who are created in the image of God, we've been placed here to remind everybody, this is his. And when we pull our boundary stones in, we create these spaces 
where the rightful owner, him, he's not known because the, his representatives, us, or chicken, or whatever it is that causes us to pull our boundary stones in. So that's a negative. Don't move your boundary stones. A positive. Learn how to be content with the life that God has called you to. Philippians 4 says this. I'm not saying this. This is Paul talking because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to live in need, to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether being content Oh, excuse me, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So Paul says, I know the secret of being content in all circumstances, and it's this. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength or through him who gives me strength. That's a bumper sticker. We've all seen that. You know, people say that so they can go run their marathon or finish the fourth quarter or whatever it is. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I don't think that's what Paul was referring to. Here, that's fine. If that fuels you athletically or pushing yourself physically, that's fine. What Paul is talking about here is, I know what it's like to live in awful circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. And there's several places in his letters where he lists all of these hardships. He sounds like a huge baby. Listen to all the hard stuff that I've gone through for you. Beaten and stoned and jailed and hungry and thirsty and people trying to arrest him. He lists all of these hardships. And what he's saying is, I've experienced all of that. And I've learned how to be content in the midst of all of that. And it's, in the, it's because I know Jesus gives me strength in the midst of that. He allows me or he strengthens me or he empowers me to live above or beyond my circumstances. Our boundaries, by definition, are limits. And some of us chafe at the idea of having these limits. It's easy to submit to your boss if he's wonderful or if she's wonderful. It's difficult if he or she is a jerk. It's easy for us when people are patting us on the back and they notice what we've done and they value and appreciate us to say to be confident in who we are. It's difficult when you spent all day cleaning the house and your husband comes home and doesn't notice or something like that or you feel underpaid at work or you stay late and nobody notices. In those situations... It's difficult to realize, you know, my worth is based on what Jesus says about me, not based on other people patting me on the back or other people recognizing what I've done for them. And what Paul is saying is in those times when things are, when your, your circumstances, when the limits that God has laid for you kind of are restrictive and they chafe you a little bit, that's when it's important to recognize you're connected to the one who, that Jesus can strengthen you. He can empower you. He can give you the grace to respond above or beyond the limits of your circumstances. That's what it looks like to be content. To be content is to be good with what you have. It's not a feeling. It's an attitude or a state of being. I'm good with what I've got. I don't need more. If I don't have a lot, I'm good with that because Jesus gives me strength. If I have a lot, I'm good with that too because Jesus gives me strength. Having a lot or having a little, it doesn't matter. Having a good boss or having a bad boss, it doesn't matter. Having people value me or not value me, it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter because Jesus is the one who gives me strength. And if we can tie into that, then we too can know this secret of being content in all things. Does that mean you can never change your circumstances? That whatever lot you have, you're stuck with that. Now, no, no. Some of you became Christians when you're five. And so if the thing is remain in the circumstances that you're in, then you're in kindergarten living at home, 
your parents telling you to go to bed at 8 o'clock. That's not what we, that's not it. But there are some rules, some guidelines for us. They're not rules, there's some guidelines for us in terms of how do I go about addressing my circumstances? When is it okay for me to change? Paul says, remain as you are. So how long does that carry out? What does that look like practically? Because he says, if you're a slave, if you can get your freedom, get it. So that seems like an exception to the rule. So what are the exceptions for us? I would say two things, minor decisions, daily decisions, just the stuff that's, that is living your life. Assume the light is green unless the light's red. You don't need to pray about whether you should get up and go to work. You don't need to pray about whether you need to run carpool. You don't need to pray about those things. You just do those things because that's the life that God has given you. He's set this field for you and said, in the midst of that, just run, run. And so those daily type decisions, just go. Major decisions. Things are going to pull you out of the life circumstances that you're in. Like Paul says, remain where you are. If you said, if I make this decision, I won't be remaining where I am anymore. Assume the light is red unless the light is green. Moving down the street, probably not a big deal. Moving to another city, that's a huge deal. You're not remaining where you are. Taking a promotion in your company, not a big deal. Moving to another company, big deal. Moving to another career, huge deal. You're not remaining where you are. That doesn't mean you can never do that, but the assumption is I'm not going to without leading from the Lord. My assumption is the answer is no, unless God says the answer is yes. So I don't entertain phone calls. People aren't beating down my door. I don't entertain phone calls about other jobs. That moves me out of where I am. So my assumption is no. I don't spend any time on that. When it, if, if and when it's time, then it'll, God will make that plain. But I don't, have, I don't spend any time on those kind of things, whether we need to leave Marietta or that type of stuff. That pulls us out of where we are, and this is where we are. Jim Elliott was a missionary. He said, wherever you are, be all there. And part of that, most of that is mental, staying locked in, which, again, is easy when you love the boundary lines that have been placed for you. But when you don't like them, it can be difficult, and we can begin to spend a lot of our time living out here in hypothetical what-if world. And God doesn't live in hypothetical what-if world. He lives here and now, and he wants us fully committed to the life that he's given to us here and now. If you don't like your circumstances, you can ask him to change them. He may or may not. But I would say don't take it upon yourself to do that if it's going to pull you out of the circumstances that you're presently in. Daily stuff, regular stuff, absolutely. Light's green. You don't need to ask God about what cereal you need to eat in the morning. Just eat. And there are people who do that. I'm going to pray without ceasing, so I'm going to pray about everything. What color pants I should wear and what shoes I should That's if that Okay. If that's you, I think God's looking for mature sons and daughters who can live life with him, but aren't paralyzed by indecision in the dailiness of life. So have freedom there. He trusts you. But in these major things that are going to pull you out of your circumstance, out of your life situation into another, you need to ask. You need to make sure it's very clear. One of the things we ask everybody who comes to us and says they want to be a missionary, we say, are you running to something or are you running away from something? Breaking up with your girlfriend is no reason to go on the mission field. It's you're, you're carrying your heart with you. It's going to hurt there just as much as it hurts here. You might not run into her, but it, 
It's that your heart is with you wherever you go. And so there, for all of us, when it, this idea of changing circumstances, are you moving in obedience to the Lord? Are you just trying to get out of a situation that's not very comfortable or that you don't like very much? Why does it matter, all of this? Recognize that God has laid these boundary lines for you. Don't move the boundary stones. Learn to be content in the situation that he's called you to. Why does it matter? Verse 14, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. The unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. Now, marriage is different. Uh, There's a unique bond there where two become one. A lady in our church sent me an email last week. She didn't know what we were talking about, but she's married to someone who's not a Christian. They have a great relationship. He's very open. He's just not willing to follow Jesus at this point. And and she said to him, she said, you know, I'm, I'm one with Jesus and seated with heavenly places, and I'm one with you. So that puts you in some pretty special circumstances. And he said, yeah, I get that. And there's something about marriage, yes, being one with somebody and you being one with the Lord where God uses you in a pretty unique way. The same thing with your kids, but the broader principle to me applies. God works through his people. And so the reason he, it's us recognizing I'm, I'm in this particular life situation and it's not just about me. There are all of these people who are relationally connected to me. And if I pull out, then I short circuit or could short circuit what God wants to do in their life. That's why Paul says, how do you know, husband, whether you're going to save your wife? How do you know, wife, whether you're going to save your husband? The only way you know is to stick it out. If you leave, if you divorce them and walk out of this relationship, well, you don't know what God could have or would have done through you if you'd stayed. And the same thing is true for us with the people who we're in relationship with and the places where God has us. There are things that he wants to do through us. And if we pull out of our life circumstances, if we, if we move, remove ourselves from those situations, well, we don't know what God would have done if we would have stayed. Again, it doesn't mean you're there forever. We just talked about when you can leave. But it does mean when you're there taking ownership and recognizing, hey, God has me here now. Why? What is my responsibility to these people into this place. We talk all the time about doing your deal. That's localized for everybody. Very few people have something that's franchisable that God has called them to. It has to do with this particular context. It's Marietta, it's Kennesaw, it's Smyrna, wherever it is that God has placed you. There's something there for you, whether it's in government or business or in your home or in your kid's school. There's places where God has put you, and it's recognizing this is where I am Now, so why, God? How do you want to use me as a channel of grace to these people who are are in my relational network and to these places that you've called me to for right now? We don't want to miss those opportunities. It's, It's about more than our personal life goals or life satisfaction. It's what God is doing in our community and the people who we're connected to. And we don't want to pull out of those relationships or out of those locations too quickly then we can short-circuit what God is about. Good? Let's pray.
So a few things, sorry, a few things. Uh, to me, if you're married to me, very clear. You have kids. That's what it means. You're you, you're fruitful and you multiply. That's in Genesis. That's the expectation for everybody. If you're biologically unable, that's a completely different scenario. I don't think there's any um, imperative from the Lord that you try to undergo any medical procedures. That, that's not in there. You do your part, and either you conceive or you don't. But I do think there may be some in here who you said, no more kids. That's a big deal to say no more kids. That might sound flipped. It might seem like a bigger deal to have kids than to not. My encouragement to you, if that's you, I'm not saying that you need to have children. I'm just saying you need to make sure that you're not making a decision based on what you think you can afford or whether or not you're going to have to get a bigger car or whether or not you have enough bedrooms in the house. You need to ask the Lord, are we done? And if he says you're done, then you're done. And if he doesn't say you're done, then you don't get to decide that. For some who may be, again, for, there's a, there's not all of your life, but there's a portion that you honestly despise. You think he messed up. You don't like, you can't say the boundary lines are in pleasant places. Something with your relational status, your job, something like that. And you need to wrestle with the Lord. My encouragement to you is to do that. Don't just try to be a good little boy or a good little girl and say, I'm just going to suck it up. It's going to cause you to resent God, and it's going to be very difficult for you to be um, content in the life that you have. And so you just need to be honest with the Lord about that and say, God, I don't, I don't like this piece, and I don't get it. And I need, some, I need some help from you here. Give me some understanding. Give me some direction. Give me some grace if you're not going to give me those other things for me to live contentedly because you know that's a struggle for me in these areas. And then finally, for some of you who are considering major transition. It's not that you can never change circumstances. You can. You just want to make sure that you're being led by the Spirit and not driven by anything else. So take these next few minutes as Bo sings and as we worship and just ask God. For some of you, the most difficult part is honestly laying it on the table and saying, I'll say yes or I'll say no, whichever one you want. But that's where... Until you're willing to say yes or no, you're not going to get much from the Lord. You're just asking him to confirm what you already want, and he doesn't, that's not what he does. And so it could be for you doing the work of saying, you know what, I'm willing to let this thing go or to grab onto it, whatever you want. And then I think you'll, you'll sense the Lord leading you pretty clearly one way or the other. So God, that's my prayer for everyone here that you would minister to us, that you would lead us and guide us and direct us. God, I pray that we could say with David, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. God, I pray that we would never give in to the temptation to move our boundary lines in or out, that the field that you have given to us, I pray that we would run full and we would run free and we would remain inside the lines that you have laid for us. And I do pray for those, God, if you're if you're pulling them out of a situation 
to pull them into to take them to something else, that there be a real sense of your leading in that confidence and confirmation that they're doing the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We'll have ministry teams up front in the corners if you want prayer for anything. We'd love the opportunity to pray with y'all. Otherwise, Bo will close us in worship and dismiss us when we're done.
Y'all are free to go. Elementary school parents, Penny asks that you leave your kids until 12.30. You can get your young ones, just don't get your elementary school kids till 12.30. Y'all are free to go, and we'll see you next week.